Uh, if you're brand new, I'm Tyler, I'm the pastor here. We finished a series titled Moments, and today we're kicking off a new series titled Imagine. Everybody say, Imagine. Now, Imagine is an interesting word to use at church. The uh, most common word for imagine would be vision. It's Vision is what could be and should be. It's what you see your life becoming. It's what you actually dream of. And, and I want to use the word imagine to use a fresh kind of bent on vision. We're going to do vision for the next couple weeks. And then in March, we're going to kick off a series from the book of Colossians, not of this world. Come on now. Um, I'm super excited about that. But today we're going to talk about dreaming together. We're going to dream for the next few weeks about is really what it looks like to be the church, to really um, say yes to the calling on the church to change the world, to turn this thing upside down. That's, that, that's literally what the Lord wants us to do. And and so uh, I even thought of like Disney. Disney has employees. When I lived in LA, some of my friends worked there and they had employees that they would pay thousands of dollars and they called them Imagineers. They literally hire them just to dream up stuff. Just go dream of stuff for Disneyland. And I believe that the Lord has employed the church to be Imagineers, to dream differently for the world. That when we see bad news, that we would dream that good news would triumph over bad. That when we see darkness, that we would imagine and believe by faith that God is bigger than whatever is thrown at us. And so this message, imagine, is imagine a church literally clicking on all cylinders, loving people like crazy. That's the dream of this series, that we would say yes, that you would say yes, that you're not coming to church, but you are the church. I'm going to read you a verse real quick. Habakkuk 2.2. Everybody say Habakkuk. Turn and say Habakkuk. And now wipe your face because there's definitely always spit with Habakkuk. Um, it's a dangerous word to say to somebody if you're in close vicinity. Habakkuk 2.2 says this, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Stop. This is a moment in history where God's people are watching the wicked succeed. Uh, Habakkuk's complaint is, Why do bad things happen? What is going on, God? God, are you going to do anything about it? What is the answer to these problems? And when we ask God, what's the, what's the answer to the problems that we have? He comes back and says, here's the answer, make it plain. And the answer to the problems, he goes right back to back and goes, you're the answer. God's chosen people are the answer to the problems. And so the problems we see today is the church is the answer. And so he says, write down the vision and make it plain. So the, 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 they who read it may run fast. Now let me put it this way. The word of God is God's answer to us. I actually think it's pretty simple to live the way, uh, live the way we're called to live for God and we complicate it. If it's written in the word and God says to forgive people, we should forgive. But why is it so hard to forgive? The Bible says serving is the greatest thing you can do for your soul. It refreshes your soul. That if you want to be great and actually do something, that serving is the way to do it. And serving is so hard for people. We're just so selfish. My prayer is that we would actually have a season in our church in this next wave that people would be so excited to do exactly what God told them to do. It goes on to say this in Proverbs 29, 18. Uh, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law. They cast off restraint. Basically what it says is when there is no prophetic word, when the word of God is not being followed, this is where we're supposed to go. This is the promise. When this starts to take a back seat in our lives, when this starts to take a back seat in the church, what it says is that we throw out the restraint and we start going to places like bondage. We go to start going to preference instead of actually the mission of God. And so this, this couple week series really is just to recalibrate us or remind us why we even come to church. You don't come to do church. We come to be the church. Doing church is checking the box. I did this and I feel good. Being the church is you come to church on Sunday and you realize you have the rest of the week to change the world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do this morning in uh, our new Imagine series. And Lord, we dream today. We need more dreamers. I think in the Old Testament when the brothers saw Joseph, they said, oh, look, here comes this dreamer. Oh, 
It's funny what we look down on in our society. A dreamer like Joseph you used to save a nation. So Lord, I pray that more dreamers would raise up in this series, that they would see themselves as people and they would imagine being used by God to do something bigger than they ever thought they could. Oh, we dream with the one that gives dreams. We have faith in the one that gives faith. Oh, may my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said? Amen. So we're going to talk about the church today and the vision of the church. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. We're going to actually pick up in Ephesians 5. We talk about the bride of the church. The bride of the church. There are three major themes in the Bible that the church is compared to. One is the body. We're going to talk about that. That's found in 1 Corinthians 12. So we're going to talk about the body of the church. That's the function of the church. When the church is functioning with all body parts, it is a powerful thing. When the church is only celebrating a few parts and it becomes just a service, it becomes very ineffective. So we're going to talk about the, the function of the church. And then we're also going to talk about the bride of the church, the relational aspect of what the church is supposed to play with the Lord and with the community. And then last but not least, in 1 Peter, it talks about the church being a building. A building. The, the, the practical and spiritual components of what it looks like to build the house of God. And so we're going to talk about bride, building, body. Three Bs. That's pretty easy to remember. Yes? You're welcome. I'm a simple man that can remember anything else, okay? I'm going to do building, body, yeah, bride. Ooh, that's good. All right, here we go. Um, I'm a genius. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, it's on the screen. Ephesians 5, 25. Here we go. Husbands, love your wives. And all the, all the wives said, amen. Come on. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing uh, with water through the word, and to present to her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What that verse is saying is the way that you treat your wife is going to come right back to you and how it's going to respond to you. You speak life, you're going to have life come back. But if you neglect, again, that, that, that's, that's a no-go. Jesus did not neglect the church. He spoke life to the church and died for the church. Speak life to your wife. Die for your wife, watch what happens, okay? Come on now. Um, that's my free marriage advice. I've only been married for seven years. That's all I got. Okay, okay here we go. Um, after all, no one ever hated their own body, uh, but they uh, feed and care for their body, just as Christ uh, does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Everybody say mystery. mystery. I love that it doesn't end there. It tells us the mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Stop. Ephesians 5, you read the whole thing, it talks about submitting to each other, dying for your spouse. And in our culture, like, what do you mean I gotta submit to my man? What do you mean I gotta die for my wife? Really, the, the, the heart of this metaphor in the, in the um, Gospels, there are these things called parables. Parables are little stories, big truth. Now, in the epistles, God uses metaphors like crazy to unpack his heart and his vision for our life so we can imagine what it looks like. And so, as a guy, you read this, you're like, I'm a bride to Jesus? That doesn't make, I, I can't be a bride, I'm a dude. How does that work? Here's all he's saying. It's a metaphor saying how much he loves you. There, there's no other um, love than a love for a spouse. You can love sports, but man, when you actually fall in love with a spouse and get married, it changes everything. It changes even, my, my wife now is not Rachel Shunk, which she was super happy to get rid of Shunk, by the way. Imagine in school, hi, my name's Shunk, Chunk, Skunk, all kinds of stuff. Very hard childhood for my wife, okay? Um, she's like, I just want to marry a man with an all-American name. Johnson, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I sometimes think, she's like, what's your last name? Johnson. I'm in. I don't even know anything about you. I love your last name. I'll marry you, okay? And so um, she's now Rachel Johnson, all right? And so when you get married, it changes your name. It changes even uh, the, the, a part of how you live your life. It changes everything. And so Jesus is saying, I am Jesus, and you are my bride. I'm going to change everything. Have you ever, Simon is known in the, in the Gospels and becomes Peter. 
How amazing is it that a man that was changed so much by Jesus that people even called him something different? Do you know that God wants to change your life so much that people call you something different? From selfish to selfless? From angry to loving? That when God really gets a hold of your life, people will call you different things that you never thought you'd be called. This is what happens when you say yes to Jesus. It changes your whole life. So it goes on to unpack the bride of the church and the priority. This is the relational dynamic. That there should be a relational dynamic that God should be first in your life. One of the most fascinating parts, I think, about this, this, this text, I want to use a quick illustration, is what Jesus is saying that now we are actually his bride. He's rolling with us. Now, I hope this is an okay illustration. I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings. But um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this sometimes. I've noticed this sometimes. But have you ever seen a couple walk into a restaurant or into even church or into a basketball game? And this guy, you know, he's kind of average Joe-ish, maybe, you know, kind of like me, whatever. But then his wife is gorgeous. And you're like, hold on a second. How did you snag her? You ever seen this before? Yes, and you're like, I got to see what kind of car he drives because there's got to be something on how he snagged her. You know what I'm saying? Um, because they just don't fit. Everybody's like, how could you say that? You thought the same thing before too, okay? It's like when this guy snags a girl way out of his league or a girl snags a guy away. You're like, how did, how did this happen? This shouldn't have happened, you know? Like, is he funny? And you find out he's not funny. You're like, okay, is he super nice? No, he's a jerk. This makes no sense, Okay? These are things that made me go, hmm, okay? Uh, especially because I like, got married later in my life, 29. I was like, how did that guy get married? And I'm still single. Long story. Okay, anyways. Um, bitter Tyler. All right, so let's bring it back to Scripture. Sound good? Cool. Um, where is he going with this? He's on a tangent. Um, I love going back home, and I'll see people. God bless you. Um, I'm acting like it was a sneeze. Uh, so I love going home. I'll see people I haven't seen in years. And they'll say, Tyler, so good to see you. What are you up to? How are you doing? Oh, so good. So good to see you. And they'll go, so what are you doing now for a living? Like, I haven't seen you since high school. And I'll be like, oh, I'm a pastor. And they'll go, really? Europe? Oh, that's not, like, of a church? No, I'm a pastor of a McDonald's. Like, what else can you be a pastor of? Like, like a Boeing, you know? Yes, of a church, you know? like Jesus yes Jesus like they're like trying to how did this happen how did you and then if I really want to blow their mind me and Drew were like uh, you know high school best buddies my best friend Drew and he was the one running from the cops smoking weed you name it getting kicked out of class I'm like you know what's so crazy you remember Drew my, my best friend yeah he's a pastor too they're like what <laughs> you know they're like how what how did huh you know like it's like it just explodes their brain they can't understand how these two knuckleheads that were selfish not living for the lord now have given their whole life to build jesus's bride here's why i shot out of my league jesus is out of my league god is out of my league he's out of my league but jesus is so good he died on a cross and so i now make people scratch their head and go how did you get jesus I want to hear this. This is, this is the way the church should work. This is the, imagine a church like this. People in our area never thinking that they could lead a small group, let alone go to church. And they come to church and they find out that Jesus loves them where they're at and loves them so much he wants to bring them to another place that he can change everything about them in a good way. And then people go, hey, so what have you been up to? Oh, I go to Mission Church. You go to church? Yeah, yeah, I'm actually on my way. I lead a Bible study at Phil's. What? Like, what's the Bible study of? Oh, we're going through the book of Colossians at church. So I'm going, how did this, how did you, you're, they'll allow you to go to your, that church? I know you, bro. I know you. I used to work with you. You were evil. You know, like, like these are, I lo- those are the best moments. The church has to be a place where people know that Jesus literally died on a cross so you could say yes to him and become his bride. But the problem is, I think a lot of people think that they have to be a 10 because we think on the same system. 
literally, you, you go into, you know, if nobody clubs here, okay, but if you're going to a club, okay, um, let's not do clubs, it'd be a terrible illustration. You go into a library, okay, um, and you're single, all right, because that's where you find your spouse. Um, <laughs> our, uh, our culture is so good at rating people. It's a terrible thing in our culture. And so sometimes people, I remember being a youth pastor, and there'd just be this young, sweet girl, and she, she'd be super pretty, and she would date the worst guy. Like, we're talking the worst guy. Uh, the term I used in, uh, as a youth pastor was he was a tool shed. Just a tool shed. Just get him out, get, throw him out, you know, just tool shed. And then I find out how her dad treated her. I find out that she saw herself as a two, basically, and not a ten. And so she thought that's what all she could have is another person treat her the way she saw herself. What happens in a marriage is it really does change your identity. When you get hooked up with Jesus and you marry Jesus and you become a bride, it makes you realize, oh my gosh, I have the ability to be a 10 because Jesus sees it in me. There is gold in you. Imagine a church where people actually believe there is gold in them. Imagine a church where people actually believe that they could be used by God to do something special, that they wouldn't let the world give them a two rating or a five rating, but they would say, I get it. God doesn't make junk. He doesn't. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And some people, you think you're junk or you don't think you actually do something special. Oh, I pray that this season that you would read scripture and God would say, you are my bride. You are my 10. And I can use a 10 to change the world. Amen? Amen. Second part of being a bride that I want us to catch real quick is there's nothing worse than a selfish marriage. So in this, what, what the instructions is, is over and over again, it's, I mean, you just read it from front to back, selflessness, selflessness. I mean, how many times can you repeat saying, serve the person? If you love yourself, love them how you love yourself. Selfless. It's throughout, throughout. And here's why. Because a selfish marriage is a terrible marriage. You know what else is terrible? A selfish church is a terrible church. A me marriage is a terrible marriage. A me church is a terrible church. It has to become a we thing. When Rachel and I made a decision to plant the church, I wasn't like, here's what I'm doing and you're coming along. And I said, Rachel, let's pray about planting a church together. This has to be a we thing. Because you and I, we're going to journey together. It's going to change our life. We're going to sacrifice together. We're going to sacrifice financially. We're this, this is a risk. This is a faith step. And we prayed together, and it was a we thing. And it was the sweetest decision we could have made together. What happens in marriages sometimes is each spouse is, it's about me, not about you. And I mean, I remember talking to young adults, and they were so excited to get married. And I'd ask them, why are you so excited to get married? And they'd give me like four reasons. And I was like, oh my gosh, your wife is dipped. I mean, that's a terrible reason. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have somebody cook for me. And I'm like, no, no wonder you're single. No. And everybody's looking for a great church. And looking for a church to cook and clean for them. Looking for a church to cook and feed them. I come, I come for you to feed me, Tyler. I, I, okay, I'm down to preach a message once a week. I believe that's a mandate by the Lord that I'm supposed to give vision and, and teach. But if you're depending on me to cook and clean for you, to clean your life up, to feed you, that's a bad church. That is not healthy for your life. It's a we thing. You're like, okay, I got fed today. Now I'm going to feed myself for the rest of the week, and I'm going to go feed other people because that's a we church, and that's a special church, just like it would be a special marriage. Yes? yes. Come on. And then last but not least, the church is a mess with messy people. Can we agree with this? There's, I mean, the only time this will be perfect is when this thing's empty at about 1 o'clock. You want to get a perfect church, come here by yourself, but then you ruined it because you were in the room, but that's okay. <laughs> Just going to keep it real. We all bring mess with us. We all bring junk with us. But the problem with, with us being upset with the church being a mess is that's, that's why Jesus even gave us the church, because we need a hospital for sick people. And not only that, I've, I've heard people say this, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I mean, think about what you're saying right there. Can you imagine somebody coming up to me, Tyler, oh, 
Love you. Think you're awesome. You're hilarious. Love your gray hair that kind of blends in. You know, it's amazing. I'm like, oh, keep going. You know, um, I think you're awesome at basketball. I haven't played like in 10 years. Thank you so much. Like, they're complimenting me. And they're like, but Rachel, not so much. She's kind of crazy. I don't really like Rachel. This relationship's not going to work. You can't like me and not like my wife. Like, it just it, it creates a rift. And what happens is we're like, well, I love Jesus, but I don't really like his bride. The bride comes with flaws. The church comes with flaws, but we have to love Jesus and love the bride. Uh, I'm not a fighter. I don't know if you knew this. I'm, I, I, I'm a runner, not a fighter. Uh, but if I was going to get in a fight, somebody tried to fight me. I, I don't like to fight anymore because I don't know who does UFC. Jiu-Jitsu is big now. So I'm like, oh, you want to go? Night-night. You know? I'm like, what? what did you just touch? You're like, oh, go to sleep. You know? so, so I don't like to fight because I have no idea who's doing jujitsu these days or karate or whatever. Okay? Unagi. Um, Sam Sinroll. Uh, friends reference. You're welcome. All right, anyways. Um, so if you try to like, fight me, I'd run. Try to get at my wife. I'm going to grab her and we're going to run together. Okay? <laughs> so, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You mess with my wife. It'll be the only time I throw down. I'll, I'll get this adrenaline fight or flight thing, and I'll, I'll, I never have because Rachel, nobody's ever stepped to us, but... but I like to think because I'm, I'm, I look tough. You know what I'm saying? But they, How you doing, sir? Hello. Not tough. Um, when you say yes to Jesus, it comes with all these benefits. It comes with a relational benefit. Do you know you married somebody who's rich? And so now you get the inheritance of heaven. Did you know you married somebody who wants to protect you? Because that's what he does. If you leave the house, you cannot have the protection. But you say yes to being the bride and live in the house, watch how he protects you. You have hard days, watch how he restores you. This is when you say yes to be in the church. These are the benefits of the church. And so many people are looking for the benefits outside of the church, but all the benefits are in his house becoming the bride. Amen? Let's look at the second part uh, that a church. Imagine a church actually being the building God called it to be. Uh, let's go to uh, 1 Peter 2. Uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 9. I wrote a simple thing. Imagine the church being a place where people are running to it instead of running from it. I actually don't tell people a lot I'm a pastor or that I'm a Christian because right when I do, they just shut down because they have a bad experience. But what I want to do in this region is when people see you even wearing your Mission Church swag or you saying you're a Christian, they've encountered so many great Christians in this area because we said yes to be in the church that they're excited to run to the church, not run from the church. And so God gives us this amazing blueprint. I believe this plain on tablets in 1 Peter 2 through 4 through 9 on how to build the church to be an attractive building where people would want to live inside the building of the church. It's not these walls. It's the community of people. And so here's what he says in 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 4 through 9. Uh, if your Bible's turned there, if not, it's on the screen. Here we go. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God. Just stop real quick. That verse alone could be a 30-minute message. Look at this. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God. You have to decide, are you going to operate because people rejected you and let that direct your pass, or let chosen by God direct your pass? And we're going to get rejected by humans all the time. And that's going to direct your steps on how you dream, how you imagine, how you navigate. It's over. People have rejected me throughout my life. I, I could go on. It's not about me. Here we go. Uh, and precious to him. You also, like, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood um, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. 
and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe uh, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become, uh, has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. Everybody say chosen. A royal priesthood. I say royal. And a holy nation. Say holy. Come on. We're going to unpack that in a second. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Stop. I want to unpack three things. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So throughout the New Testament, throughout the epistles, which is epistle a fancy word for letters to the churches, there's one time that we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit when it's singular. It's about us. 1 Corinthians 6. It's where Paul unpacks that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that we are a temple. We're a living temple. But throughout the rest of it, when it's talking about building the church, it's never by itself. It's always uh, talking about a corporate body becoming built up as a church. And so the way that you can picture a building is cornerstone is the little, um, um, well, a big stone in the corner. And the way they build on it is it has the alignment of where everything else is supposed to go. So the building depended on the cornerstone. Whatever was built with the cornerstone made sure the foundation was right and made sure it was going where it was supposed to go. So Jesus is the cornerstone, and we just follow suit. So for forgiveness is where Jesus points us. So you put a bunch of blocks together and say, man, this is a forgiving place. Jesus is love. So we're going to be a bunch of blocks that are built together. They're going to love each other and love people. When you build this kind of house, this is a special place where people want to come, be protected and loved. This is where people would run to. Now, I want to share a quick little illustration. So he says you're chosen. I think one of the biggest problems in the church why we're not being as effective as we can be, not saying our church, but I, mean, I think we always can grow. Um, our church is amazing stat-wise. They always say about 20% of the church is like participating in church. We're like at like 50%, which is amazing. But I'm not going to settle for 50. I'm believing for 100%. Everybody say 100%. So the illustration was, so you're chosen by God. And a lot of people think, I'm not chosen. The, other, the person to my right who's actually a little bit more holy, I'm disqualified. You don't know what I did. You're not disqualified. Jesus qualifies you. You don't qualify yourself. And so there was a game I used to play when I was a kid called Tag. Anybody remember the game Tag? I, I, tag? I, I guess I said it wrong at first. They were like, what's Tag? Tag. I'm, I'm from Washington, so I say bag and tag. I don't know. Forgive me. Um, but Tag, Tag. Um, it's really hard for me. So raise your hand if you didn't play Tag. Tag. Everybody? I don't know how to say it. I'm trying. I'm all self-conscious now. My Canadian accent, even though I'm from Washington State, whatever. Um, so, Tag, if you've never played, I don't want to assume everybody has, um, uh, but um, basically, Tag was a game you'd run around, one person would be it, you'd tag somebody, then they would be it, and they'd run around. There was freeze tag, where you'd be frozen, or tunnel tag, where if you were frozen, the person had to go uh, through your legs, and then you were uh, unfrozen. It was a fun, fun game, okay? So, we'd be in the backyard, there'd be about 11 people in my neighborhood, and I'm about seven years old, and there would always be a few people when you're playing Tag, and I'd run up, and they'd be in the backyard where we're at, and I'm like, <sighs> and I'd tag them, Tag, you're it! And I'd run away. You're seven. You're, you're laughing. You're having a good time. They're like 13. They're like the cool ones or whatever. Suffer from too cool disease. And you tag them. They're like, I'm not playing tag. Leave me alone. I'm just hanging out over here. You're annoying me. Blah, blah, You know, like that kind of stuff. You're like, well, sorry, I thought you were playing tag because you were inside the yard where everybody else was playing tag. And you're standing in the middle of our tag zone. Um, my bad. And so basically what would happen is you're a seven-year-old. You'd watch this person. You'd tag them. You'd think they're going to be it. But they're like, oh, I'm not playing. And so right when you tag them, the game just gets ruined for a second. Everybody's like, so who's it? And the person who's telling me, like, I'm not it again. I already take somebody. I'm not going to be it again. That would just be silly, seven-year-old thinking. And so finally somebody talks to you, okay, I'll be it again. And then you, you take somebody. But it kind of would ruin the game. And I remember playing tag as a kid, and I just, I couldn't stand playing tag with people who, who were in the vicinity, but they weren't playing tag. Is this making sense? Good. Okay, sweet. Let's proceed. 
So you're chosen by God. And I think what happens each Sunday, I'll just be honest, I'm going to make it plain with you. I'm not going to hide anything. This is going to be more of a pastoring, shepherding thing. I'm calling you to action today, and I hope that's okay. Every Sunday, I'm literally trying to communicate to you from Jesus, tag your it. Tag your it, go change the world. Tag your it, go love somebody. Tag your it, be generous. Tag your it, actually be everything God called you to be. And what happens is, is people come and they're like, I'm not chosen. I'm just coming and I'm leaving. I don't know why you would think that I'm chosen by God just because I come to church and I'm inside the room with you and I'm saying I'm a part of the church. Don't think I'm actually part of the church. I'm not a part of the church. And it ruins church. Because the way church works is when you are tagged by God to be used and you decide not to be used, the people in your vicinity are hurt by it. I hope you hear this real quick. There's nothing worse than playing tag with somebody who doesn't want to play tag with. There's nothing worse than doing church with somebody who doesn't actually want to be the church. It, it, this, this, this may not be the most warm, cozy part of the, the message, but you need to hear this real quick. The church does not succeed and will actually not do what God called to do if people just come and think they're going to do church. You have to realize that God, you've been chosen by God to be a world changer. Imagine everybody coming to church going, I'm it. There is no backup. There is nobody. I, I'm the person at this Starbucks right now. Nobody else is at Starbucks. I'm the person at Starbucks. I'm it. I'm called to this Starbucks right now. I'm the only person at my work that's a Christian. I'm it. There's no backups. I don't see, I don't see a Calvary coming in. I'm the answer. I may say, God, why does work so tough? You want to have, work, you want to have your work um, climate change? Get them all saved. Can you imagine that? Like, say you just don't like work. You, Jesus made his enemies family. You want, to, you want to change your environment, get the people around you saved and turn it from enemies and coworkers to family and then tell me how much you love your life. Amen? Another part of tag. Let's just keep going with tag. It's a decent illustration. It's not great. I'd say it's average in my illustration bank, but uh, it's all I got today. So thank you, Jesus. He's going to breathe on it. Uh, second one is your chosen people, a royal priesthood. Charles Spurgeon goes off on this little part of just the royal priesthood. He goes, this is an amazing statement that God is making to his people in his church, that we would be called priest, a royal priest. So Jesus is the priest of all priests, of course. But then you've got to think about this. Out of all the things he could have called you, your identity affects your activity. You are now a royal priest. And what happens in our culture is we see movies and you see a priest and he walks around. He's like, you are forgiven. You know, and he's like all like um, whatever. I don't even know what it's called. Uppity. Let's use the word uppity. Okay, cool. Uh, and so when I say to you, be a priest. You have all these pictures of what it means to be a priest. Don't let any other picture besides Jesus, the ultimate priest, be your picture on how you're supposed to operate. You are a royal priest. And I don't know how many Christians I've talked to, they've never seen themselves that way. For the church to be what it's called to be, you have to understand that you're a royal priest. What does it look like to operate like a royal priest? Let's go back to tag. When I was a kid playing tag, there was a girl I had a crush on. Her name was Missy Dyer. She was 12. I was 7. I thought I had a shot. Whatever, okay? Um, so... When you play tag as a seven-year-old and you have a crush on a girl, what do you do? You chase after the one you have a crush on. So, uh, so Missy, I would always chase after. She was way faster than me, but it didn't matter. I liked Missy. I had affection for Missy, okay? Uh, and so Missy Dyer would run around. I remember this one time. I was even chasing her, and she was in front of the corner of a house, and she uh, took her PlayStation remote, pressed X, F2, juke, and spun move, okay? And she spun out, and I was literally running for her, and she's like, see you later. And I went right past her, ran into the house, split my knee up, started bleeding. And I was like, oh, I started crying, which never is good uh, for a girl to see you cry, but whatever. Um, at seven at least. Go inside the house. I'm like, mom, you got you to take my knee up. I got to go out there. Missy's playing tag today. Today's my day. Today's my day, mom. I believe. I believe. She cleans my knee up. I go back out. And again, I play tag. Go for Missy. Stop. A royal priesthood. I don't I'll put it this way. All of us have been tagged by something. You're chasing something. And when Jesus says, now your world priesthood is now what he loves, you're going to love. 
What he sacrificed for, you're going to sacrifice for. What he gave to, you're going to give to. What happens, though, is we feel like we've been tagged by cultures that, boom, my turn. My turn to get money. My turn to get promotions. My turn to get mine. My turn to take care of myself. My turn. When we decide to take my turn and live for ourselves, everybody loses. But when you realize the game of tag is you just said, boom, I've now called you to chase after what I was chasing after. I was on earth and did my ministry for three years. I chased after the Samaritan woman. I chased after the tax collectors. I was a friend of sinners. And now it's your turn to be a royal priest to chase after the same ones because I had an affection. The, the thing that uh, I even show the picture of Missy is I feel like we chase after only things that we value. And usually it's stuff that we like and benefits us. The true sign of a great church is when we chase the things that we get nothing in return. When we give the things that we get nothing in return. Oh, that, that, that is not of this world. And last but not least, it's just simply this. He says that you're a holy nation. You're a holy nation. The difference is when, you, when we catch you, when we get you to church, when we get you in the community of God, it's not tag, you're it, you lose. It's tag, here's the riches of the kingdom. Here's community. Here's forgiveness. Here's restoration. Here's the love of God. And if people, people can encounter your life and find the love of God and the joy of God, say goodnight. I, I, uh, I live by Steph Curry. Uh, he doesn't know it, but I do. Um, so I drive by Steph Curry's house every day off of Livorna. If you ever want to go by with me, I'll take you. Um, and sometimes the gate's open. I'm like, hey, Steph, it's me. You know, Steph, come to Mission Church. I heard you love Jesus. You know, Steph, let's play basketball. I can play basketball with you. You know, I want to party with you. You know, whatever. Um, he golfs. I want to golf. So Steph lives by me, okay? Well, he, he just finished up his dream house about eight months ago. It's amazing. His dream house has another house, which would be my dream house, okay? Um, I'll drive past him, and I'll go to my house. And I, I like where we live. We live in a little duplex um, uh, in Walnut Creek. It's, it's a gift. But I, I literally go, man, like, if somebody said, would you like that house? Would I say no to Steph Curry's house? I would say yes to it. It's a dream house. It's my dream house. And I believe that every single person dreams of community and real relationship. I believe it. A holy nation. I believe every, I, you know how much I know it? Is look at what's happening in the political climate right now. Everybody is fighting for their utopian society of what they think the, the, the nation of, uh, of the USA could be. The nation of the USA, what? Um, the US of A. Uh, everybody's trying to fight to make the US everything it's supposed to be. People innate in their soul desire a perfect nation. The only way you have a perfect nation is you have a perfect king with a perfect monarchy, and his name is Jesus. And so the only way you're going to have a holy nation is not if you have a perfect White House, though I believe in having a great government. But the only way you're going to have a great nation is if you have the right king and the right monarchy. And a holy nation operating the right way, people desire it. And they may drive by a few days, and then they're like, hey, can you imagine if Steph, I'm just going to keep going with my illustration of Steph. Can you imagine if I drove by and Steph was like, Tyler, how do you know my name? Long story, get in here, come on, let's play some. You want me to, yes. And what happens is people drive by our community of what we have. How sweet it would be if we say, hey, come be a part of this. Come, oh. It's my dream to have community. It's my dream to be restored. It's my dream for people to love me even though they know my mess. Let's keep going. Last one, I invite the worship team to come up. So if the church is going to be special, it's going to have to understand it's a bride. It's going to have to understand that it's supposed to be a building, not built by um, human bricks, but by literally sacrificial bricks. Not the talents of a few, but the sacrifices of many. And last but not least, for the church to get real special, it needs to function like the body of Christ. It needs to function like the body of Christ. If you have Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Here we go. Almost done. Here we go. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. So it is with the body of Christ, some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some of us are free. Another way you could say that is some of us are single, some of us are married, some of us have had 
an unbelievably hard season. Some of us are having the best season. Some of us come from tough backgrounds. Some of us come from the best backgrounds. Basically, we all come from somewhere, is what he's saying. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Stop. For the church to have unity, to function like the body of Christ, unity has to be connected with diversity. We will celebrate diversity to have unity. Something I love about our church is just the way that you can come and dress any way you want. If you noticed, my um, fashion game is a very low bar, okay? It's a black crew sweatshirt, some Nike shoes, and some jeans, all right? Um, but what I love about our church, this is what I, Caleb will come up, and he'll have on the coolest St. Laurent shoes. Um, this, like, if you get close, it was like this, like, cheetah print. Hey, Caleb. Um, even, his, even his hoodie right now, like, I can't rock that. I don't even know what I'd do with myself in that thing, you know what I'm saying? Tie-dye pink, but he could do it. He pulls it off. But he had like this like rose cheetah print like button up and it was like silk. And I was like, how do you do it, man? How do you do it? How do you do it? But what I love is you can come in the coolest attire or you can come in a crew or you can come in a suit. What happens a lot in the church is we think that we have to be uniformity instead of actually diversity. Diversity is phenomenal in the church. Rich, poor, black, white, any race, doesn't matter. That's what's so cool about Jesus. He united all of them. No other thing can do what Jesus can do. He can unite all things. We're trying to unite our nation right now. It's not going to happen out there. It's going to happen here. And, and my prayer is, is that when you come here is that you wouldn't think that you're not needed because you're not speaking on a Sunday or you're leading worship. There is so many different parts of the church. We've got to celebrate them. We had 15 people just on our setup team this morning that nobody saw. They were being the hands and feet of Jesus, setting up the speakers. If you're on Setup Teardown, will you raise your hand real quick? I just want to say thank you. Come on, give it up for them. It's a big deal. I, I love our Setup Teardown team. I love... I love all three of you in service right now. All right. If you want to be on Set of Teardown, raise your hand. We're doing sign-ups right now. Come on. Come on. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll see you after service. Okay. Um, Paul uses one of the most, I feel like, easy metaphors for us to understand is the function of a body. And for me, I remember when I was 23 and I was working out a lot, I Decided I wanted to get really buff, and so I just started working out like crazy. It was called Operation Beach Muscles, okay? And so what it was is I'd work out my pecs, my abs, my biceps, my triceps. That was it, all right? And so for eight months, I worked out, got kind of crazy about it, and I got super fit. First time I ever had a six-pack. Wife has never seen me with one, but there are, the rumors are true, I swear, babe. All right? Um, anyways. Uh, and I remember just bending over one day, and I went to go pick something up, and my back popped. I couldn't even move. 23 years old. I go to the doctor and do some tests, MRIs. They check me out. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't work out my legs at all because whoever says, ooh, that's a nice quad. You know what I'm saying? I was single, all right? I was, you know? um, my lower back, I, I wasn't working out my back at all. My back was so weak. It was so weak that my body literally, I had to take a season of my life to go to physical therapy. I was walking like this because I literally ignored this. So all the muscles were here were pulling on my back and it was making me bend over. What happens at the church is he goes right down, here, listen to this, Habakkuk 2, write down the vision, make it plain so they can run. So they can run. The church is literally crippled if you think church is on Sunday. If you think this is why we do what we do. 
Church starts on Monday. Church starts at work tomorrow. Church starts at Starbucks tomorrow. Church starts in your family's house tomorrow. Your house is the building of Jesus. Your apartment is called to be the church. And what happens in the church when we want to start running is when we start to see ourselves, hey, I'm needed to actually be the church. How great is it when somebody comes to church, I'll unpack this real quick, somebody comes to church and they say, oh, I love church, it was fantastic, I'm in, it was amazing. I love that, it's one of my favorite things when somebody comes to church. I love exploding somebody's idea of what church is, like, oh my gosh, it wasn't boring, it wasn't like, ha, 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 and I was like, da, 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 da. I love it, okay? But what I love even more is Monday through Friday when somebody goes to church and they didn't even know it because you're the church. Somebody's going to go to work this week, and they think they're going to work, but church is waiting for them. And they're going to encounter the love of God. They're going to encounter you, and you're going to realize how valuable you are to the kingdom. You're going to be used by God, and they're going to say, man, I want what you have. They just came to church service, and they didn't even know it. How does God reach a cop? By an undercover church person who is a cop. How does, somebody, how does God reach a tax person who does at H&R Block? Somebody who works at HR Block who's an undercover Christian living for Jesus, leading them. Oh, the church is mobile. Oh, the church is powerful. The church can go anywhere and everywhere. We are not confined to a building. As you leave today, the church is going to go out and it can invade the world. What, what we avoid, the enemy invades. We will not avoid our workplaces anymore. We will not avoid Starbucks anymore. We will not avoid this region anymore. We're not going to do it. I want to read you one last verse and we're done. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Make it weird. It's weird, man. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Not doing it. Not going to do it. Let's go. Keep going. I went for it. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. All of you together are Christ's body. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. There's a part in, the, there's a part in this where it says we honor each other. And what happens in a lot of the church, I, I think we need to, this is going to be big, honor's going to be big in this next season of our churches. When you dishonor somebody, you disable them. When you dishonor, like, oh, that person, da, 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 and you talk bad about them, you have disabled them to be able to minister to somebody. It, it, it destroys the, the effectiveness. But when you honor somebody, you celebrate them. Imagine a church full of celebrators instead of complainers. When you honor the Lord with the first of your life, everybody benefits from it. I want to read this last part again to you. And each of you is a part of it. You know, one of my favorite things is when my wife needs my help. I'm just going to be honest. Fantastic. I love it. Tyler! Yeah, babe. Can you da da da? I'll be there in a second. There's your cup, babe. You're welcome. Throw my cape on and just fly out of there. I love it. I love it when my wife needs me. We need you. This is, I, I believe God designed you this way. I believe this is a part of the knitting of who we are as believers. This region needs you. They may not be calling to your name specifically, but they're calling out in different ways. And man, imagine a church that actually answers the call, that we answer the practical things that people are crying out for. Oh, imagine what we could do this next season. We're going to be a year old in a few weeks, and this first year has been epic, but I'm, just, I'm going to make it plain for you. I want revival. 
I don't want just a church that has a bunch of people on a Sunday. I want a region going, what happened to this place? Churches after churches are being popped up. I want all the churches to succeed. There's not enough churches in this area to have a revival. I want to literally be talking to other pastors and going, Did you, what happened on your Sunday? A hundred people got saved. How, I don't even know how it happened. God is doing something special. Oh my gosh, guess how many people got saved at Mission Church? 101 in your face. What? Yeah. Oh, 200, 202. Yeah. Just kidding. But I will say what I want. Anyways, okay, anyways um, I want it. But there's this amazing verse. I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to finish up. And it's in Matthew. So I'm praying for revival. And I was reading this today, this last week in Matthew, and it just it rocked me. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Everybody say plentiful. Come on, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Stop. I've been praying for revival. Lord, I pray for the harvest. I pray for the harvest. They're ready for you. You just got to have workers. He's not looking for golden vessels. He's not looking for silver vessels. Your best ability is your availability. You want to change the world, just be available. I'm going to pray for workers. Imagine a church full of workers. Imagine a church, everybody saying, I'm going for it this week. We bow your heads.